U.S. Senator Pat Roberts is closing out an extraordinary 40-year career in politics after deciding not to seek re-election in 2020. He has an inexhaustible supply of stories, anecdotes, and memories about political life. He's rubbed shoulders with presidents from Dwight Eisenhower to Donald Trump. He's been part of pivotal foreign policy debates and lived through challenges of Vietnam, Watergate, and 9-11. He joins the Kansas Reflector podcast from Washington, D.C. to put it all in context. I'm Tim Carpenter, your host. Hey, Tim. Hello, Senator. How are you? I recognize you, man. I haven't seen you in a... I don't know how many years. Well, I, um, I've gotten a little older. You look the same. You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> so think back to when you're in high school and maybe even working as a newspaper reporter a long time ago. Ever, ever consider the possibility of a 40-year political career and service in the U.S. House and Senate? Um, no. Uh, however... My dad was involved in Republican politics. He was state chairman, mm-hmm. uh, was a, uh, a chief of staff to several governors, uh, and then national chairman. So uh, that's when I first met uh, Eisenhower. I'm one of the few in the Congress today that could say that I actually met uh, President Eisenhower. But uh, I really didn't have that on my mind um, Holton High School, uh, I'm glad I went to Holton High School, and I told him that. I got some award, I think, a year or two ago with a class reunion, and, um, and, and, and I really appreciated that. We had 42 in our class, and I was the editor of the Holtonian. That was the mm-hmm. school newspaper. Always Great. been in trouble, and I had to go down to uh, uh, the Holton Recorder, and... Uh, I can't remember. The, he was in the state legislature. First name was John, who owned the paper there. But he would help me out on the layout when I get all screwed up. And then, of course, I had a a family background in journalism uh, as well with the Oskaloosa Independent. That's the second oldest paper in the history of Kansas, founded by my great grandfather John Wesley Roberts. And then also on my mom's side, uh, at, who is. Um, uh, Patrick, Kirk Patrick, and he, for a while, had the Valley Falls paper. Both were abolitionists. Uh, both came, I think, from Ohio to make sure Kansas would be a free state. So the answer to that is no, I'm wondering. Um, that's, uh, but uh, I, the thing about Holden High School and any smaller high school is with uh, 42 and some uh, pretty darn good uh, uh, teachers, everybody can do something. I mean, whether it's sports, whether it's photography, whether it's music or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, a lot of different, you know, clubs and organizations and with that, and then everybody knows everybody. So, but no, I didn't, uh, I didn't think from first, I, when I was out of the Marine Corps and I went West um, and was uh, in Phoenix. And uh, at one point I was a copywriter copy reader, pardon me, at five in the morning for the Scottsdale Progress. I had the Pat Roberts Roundup for Scottsdale on KWBY, which was a radio station, Cowboy, in the most west, most western town. And then also uh, wrote editorials, flaming editorials, uh, off to the right uh, for a guy that had a rock station, KXIV. And then I also was the correspondent to the uh, Arizona Republic. All four were 
different names, and by and neither one or not any one of them paid me much, but all four got me by. And then I uh, bought into a weekly and had uh, 49% of the West Sider, which is still in existence out on the west side of uh, Phoenix. Hmm. And I, wanted, I, I had an opportunity to hook up with about six or seven stations as a news director uh, back in the days. Um, and, uh, but the owner of that, uh, unfortunately, went to the Gulf of Mexico and fell out of the boat and uh, died of a heart attack. So that went down the road. But I was going to be the next Paul Harvey. <laughs> Good. So I wonder, you know, it's, I know this is hard to do, but is there any way for you to put in perspective the, the career you've had as you leave office? Oh, my. Um, well, as I've indicated, uh, I'm proud of being from Holton, Kansas. Uh, I was born in Topeka. Our family moved around uh, quite a bit because my dad was in World War II. And uh, then, of course, went to K-State and majored in journalism with, uh, under the infamous uh, Ralph Fleischbrook, who, by the way, followed the canons of journalism at the University of Missouri, I think about seven of them, none of which I don't think any so-called journalists today uh, follow. But more especially with, if you wrote a story and you had an attribution, boy, you had to name a person. He wouldn't stand for anything other than that, other than reliable sources, et cetera, et cetera. So things have changed a lot uh, since that particular time. Then the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps basically taught me that I could do more than I thought I could. And once you get that in your head, you don't give up. And I think that really served me well when I was chairman of various committees and pushing on legislation. And there, there would be days when you just say, man, we're not going to get this done. And I just simply wouldn't give up. And also, with 24 um, elections, and I'm counting everything where my name is on the ballot, some of them are a lot tougher than others, obviously. But... Um, when they uh, asked me how I knew I was going to win in 214, I said, because Marines take the hill. That's what we do. And that had an impact on my life. My dad was in the Marine Corps, so that sort of held over. He was on Okinawa and Iwo Jima and, you know, tough times. So, uh, and then, as I say, uh, Senator Carlson gave me a, a call uh, out in Arizona and said, uh, my chief of staff is leaving. Uh, and... Uh, would you come back and help me run the office? And I said, gee whiz, that would be a wonderful opportunity. So that really launched me. So would, when you think about, uh, would, would you advise a 30-something person from Kansas, maybe with a degree from K-State, a few years of military experience to go into politics in 2020? You bet. Uh, if there's any time in American history right now where – uh, it's really, really difficult to get things done. You see this with the partisanship over the COVID-19 assistance right now. We not only have a pandemic uh, with COVID-19, we have a pandemic of, uh, of partisanship. And it's terribly difficult to get something done under the circumstances. We need uh, a 33-year-old person who would be interested in politics uh, hopefully with a Kansas State degree. I have to, you know, cross that in. And a few years of military experience without so a join the Marines, then go into politics. Uh, 
we need good people to go into public service, and we need people who know that uh, it would be a better situation if we could really get to know people as individuals as opposed to their political posture, and then understand that what you're trying to do has a higher priority than partisan politics. Now, of course, you got to get you know reelected. I understand that, but uh, this is not the Senate that I came to, and I. Uh, it, it's very discouraging where we are now, but we just have to keep working at it. Mm-hmm. Some people think that Barack Obama was a horrible president, and some people think that of President Trump. But the question I have for you is not to judge that, but one of the things I thought about is, do you think the country's strength is that we're able to absorb presidential mistakes? Unlike many countries, uh, I think that's one of the advantages we have, but do you see it that way? I don't know if we're absorbing it or not, but uh, uh, rightly or wrongly, the Congress of the United States, both House and Senate, um, mirrors the the, um, the situation we have in the country, all of the division we have in the country, all the, all the balkanization, that's a better word. Uh, we are who we are because of the people who send us there, and then we tend to support the people who uh, send us there as opposed to reaching across the aisle. It's tough to do right now. It, it really is. It, uh, I don't want to be giving grades to uh, President Obama or President Trump. Uh, they were both... Um, uh, uh, figures at the time that uh, you know had a lot of criticism, and more especially uh, President Trump, in terms of his uh, personality. But um, we have sharp divisions. But I think the people may f- really forget how rough it was. Uh, I mean, you know, go back to President Lincoln for goodness sakes. Uh, I'm looking at the 34 bills that. Uh, are on my wall that allegedly uh, I authored and passed. Uh, you can get that done in any administration, but you got to find different ways to approach a solution. A lot of different pins up there with those uh, with those bills, uh, starting with Reagan all the way up to President Trump. So, any rate, uh, yeah, we can. Uh, I found uh, I found out, and this is one of the things we really have to. F- you know, think about it. Uh, once you get to know somebody as an individual, and that's usually because now today, uh, members of the House, especially where you have uh, the House office buildings being uh, dormitories, which I think is just not the way to do it. But nobody, when they come to Washington right away as a freshman congressman, not many unless they're rich, can afford a house or even an apartment. And uh, we've had the, uh, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here. We've had the paves frozen about 14, 15 years. I don't remember how long it's been. But uh, people cannot afford to buy a house or an apartment here and then associate with their fellow members. Uh, It's a Tuesday, Thursday deal. Uh, Show up late Monday, vote Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, get on a plane, go back home uh, to your district or state and say, you know, get on your personal surfboard and say, it ain't me, it's the guys behind me. Uh, That's really not the way to get things done. When I came to the Senate, 
a lot of people, and also in the House as well, when I first started out, a lot of people lived in the uh, Washington area. And we got together. I'm not a golfer, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that do that or tennis or this, that, or the other. And you have an awful lot of activities. Washington has an awful lot to offer. It's not just an evil city with a beltway around it. So people don't really get to know one another as such. They know you only on the floor. And if you're down there making partisan speeches all the time, very difficult to get something done. Uh, We've been doing that, however. I mean, we passed the Farm Bill with 87 votes. And that's because uh, Senator Stabenow and I made a decision that we had to get some things done. And so we had no surprises, uh, no press releases without the other one knowing it. Staff had to work together. And uh, that's how we got a farm bill done. It takes a while and you have to get everybody involved and you have to uh, and you have to compromise or you don't get it done. The alternative is you can be ideologically pure, but you don't get anything done. I'm thinking that, uh, well, certainly you've been an observer of a powerful era of national politics, Vietnam, Watergate, 9-11, and so on, and didn't know if there was a particular time where you were more shaken than in others. Um, I'm really glad you asked that. Uh, I know people today think these are the worst of times, especially with what's going on with uh, not only the protests, but the rioting and the looting. And we have seen that before in this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read about the bonus vets way back when Hoover was president and they occupied Washington. They were down on the mall Uh, at that particular time. The president ordered MacArthur to uh, basically clear them out and uh, assisted by Major Dwight David Eisenhower and Major... um, uh, George Patton, and uh, they did that with cavalry and swords and a tank and everything else. It was tough. Uh, it, it was only about several months after I got here with uh, Senator Carlson, uh, Carlson that the uh, tragedy of the assassination of, uh, of Martin Luther King occurred. Washington was on fire. Uh, we had Marines on the Capitol steps. They had sandbags and real bullets. Uh, <laughs> When that started, uh, we let everybody out early to get outside the Beltway, especially staff, and I I waited until everybody else left. And I jumped in my little hatchback Volkswagen and uh, tried to get home. You couldn't move. I ended up driving on sidewalks and on memorial ground and finally got home where my parents uh, lived. But uh, it was a hatchback. I had to close that pretty quick. We had tear gas. We had people running across the street, guns firing us, that and the other. Wow. Uh, Move ahead, you got the Vietnam War, that tore our nation apart. Uh, Strong opposition, strong support. Uh, Nobody likes to go into a war uh, that they're not winning and where victory is not really spelled out. Uh, That was the problem with Vietnam from the first, not to mention the Tonkin Gulf uh, uh, Resolution, which, you know, you uh, look at it now and it doesn't carry much water to say the least. Watergate. Uh, my Lord, that really tore our Republican Party apart. I remember going around with Keith Sebelius and uh, half the audience would say, you know, he ought to resign and the other would have to say, stay the course. Um, I think the worst for me was September 11. Uh, I was chairman of the Intelligence Committee. I had been warning folks that uh, our country was not safe from a foreign attack, that uh, 
by the way, David Broder said in a Washington Post article, uh, it wasn't as if the dog didn't bark. I was the dog. Uh, I spoke with uh, first responders at Ground Zero. I listened to President Bush's powerful We Hear You speech. Right before that, we were just standing there. Uh, some of us were in coat and tie. I knew, given the circumstances, that wasn't going to work. But I just said, my God, we ought to go, go up there and shake their hand and say, you know, God bless you, which I did. And, of course, the president went right in there. That was extremely moving. Uh, I have been warning for some time in Kansas that the oceans no longer uh, protected us and that, uh, you know, that there was capability that could uh, endanger our nation. I was especially talking about agriculture and uh, an attack on our food supply. Um, and then for all that to happen, I, I never imagined, however, using uh, a jetliner to be uh, a missile. Uh, that That's one that I think got past us in terms of the intelligence community. So, uh, yeah, there have been tough times, but I was trying to point out earlier, there, there we have always had tough times. Uh, the exception being when Eisenhower was president, he, we had eight years of peace and prosperity. So I wonder if you think about all the staff members that have worked for you in, in Washington and in Kansas and doing constituent work and maybe sometimes go unrewarded, but those are essential services. Do you, do you want to talk about some of your folks? Uh, I have always said that you're only as good as your staff, and I have been blessed with outstanding staff. I still have outstanding staff. Uh, gosh, to name them all would be very, very difficult but uh, let's see, 24 years in the Senate, 16 in the House. Um, Leroy Town started off with me. He used to be with Harris Press. You know Leroy? Yeah, I do. Sure. Yeah. He was with me uh, clear up until my Senate years and then decided uh, to wander off, not in retirement, but uh, his wife, Jean, is a, a wonderful teacher and headed up several journalism departments around the country, including at K-State for a while. So I'm thinking of Leroy. Uh, Mel Thompson uh, is my state ag representative. Uh, Mel's more like a brother to me than a staffer. Uh, but uh, when we went through all the tough times with Keith during the American agriculture days, and we had about 1,400 farmers there, uh, our office became their headquarters. We had to move out of our office so we could just had you know, Grand Central Station they were there for about three months for about two or three years running. And, um, but prior to that and during that, why Mel um, was just outstanding. I always knew when, uh, you know, Mel would get on a phone with a farmer who was uh, uh, just a, a tad bit irritated to say the least. And then after about, oh, 10 minutes of, uh, of hollering and yelling, uh, Mel would start asking his questions about his operation, and pretty soon after about a minute, why well, they figured out that Mel knew more about his operation than <laughs> he did. So that really worked out. Uh, Kay Sharp, our state caseworker, uh, there in the Kansas City office, uh, and then we have uh, Gilda Lentz. Uh, I call them the Golden Girls because they have such a good relationship with agencies that sometimes we're able to do something that maybe other other offices can't. Uh, they have been doing this for a long time. They love it. Uh, if Kay can't do it or if Yelda can't do it, and Ramona also down in uh, Wichita, um, 
and then our Dodge City office as well. So they have quietly worked behind the scenes to serve Kansas. Uh, we've got James Lane out in Dodge and Ramona uh, Corbin in uh, Overland Park, uh, Gene Easton, who has now passed away with uh, I work for Keith, my Lord, the stories we could tell when we went, went around on the big first listening tour and then when I did it on my own, some of which we can't talk about, but at any rate. <laughs> and then we, um, uh, Jackie Cottrell, who has been with me for many, many years, uh, she just left the office for uh, another job. And uh, I, I don't want to get into naming everybody back here, but I have a great, great uh, chief of staff on the Ag Committee. I've had great uh, uh, chiefs of staff, uh, three or four at least, but um, uh, Sir James uh, is what we call my guy on the Ag Committee, along with a lot of other people. I'm very blessed to be chairman because you have you know, quite a few folks that you depend on, then in, in, in my personal office as well. I'm very proud of my staff, and I just mentioned a few. I could mention 150 or 200, and they've all been contributors, and they all belong to the Roberts family. It's not a staff. It's family. Senator, you mentioned agriculture. It's recognized as a backbone of the Kansas economy. You've chaired the House and Senate Ag Committees. You've been involved in the farm legislation. Where do you feel like we're sitting right now in terms of ag policy? Well, I tell you what, farm policy is drastically different uh, than it was 40 years ago. But to have the privilege of being the chairman and the ranking member, that's uh, equally important for both the Senate and the House. Uh, that's been a real privilege for me. Um, I think uh, in terms of being in leadership in both the House and Senate, what I've tried to do is rely on a market-oriented agriculture. Um, we, um, today, it has really changed. The, by the way, the first, uh, first political commercial that I ever did was standing by the old stone house up on Highway 36, just out of Phillipsburg, and climbed between the barbed wire fence and the High Plains Journal outfit uh, came up, and so we cut up our first, uh, our first tape, our, our, our first ad. And at the end of it, I said, uh, the most important issue in agriculture is where is the next generation of farmers going to come from? And that's true today as well. Uh, by the way, we had to get off that uh, farmstead, not because the, you know, the owner was there, but because they uh, told me, oh, by the way, we heard a rattlesnake about six feet behind. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the big bull was nosing around or something. No, no, we made sure we weren't and a bull pasture. That's, that, you know, that's not good. But um, crop insurance, I think, uh, I think both, um, uh, there was a center from Nebraska, Bob Carey, and I worked very hard on that. And then uh, Freedom of Farm Bill in 96, uh, I've been involved in eight farm bills. Uh, I don't think anybody's done that, but, or anybody would want to do that. But uh, <laughs> uh, always mindful of uh, market forces, and providing tools to help farmers and ranchers and growers uh, produce for the demand at home and abroad has been a little difficult uh, uh, during this administration. Trade is the key. Uh, if, in fact, farmers have access to technology and research uh, that provides the background of agriculture, and we are a modern miracle. Uh, also mindful of the regulatory environment. I know during the Obama administration, we really suffered through a lot of regs under the Trump administration, they've tried to 
relieve that burden. I think that's one of the successes uh, policy-wise with Trump. Um, I had the eight farm bills, not, uh, but 96 was freedom to farm. And I got that uh, idea from the Dodge City wheat growers. And I was sent out to Dodge City by Senator Carlson to be of help to Keith Sebelius and his race. And he wanted me to go out to Dodge City and the wheat growers because he knew they were all Democrats. <laughs> and they were George Meeker, who was a Republican turned Democrat, as very close race. Uh, and then I, I continued to meet with them. And uh, we would meet there in the High Plains Journal uh, at least every two weeks. I was back home, what, 47 out of 52 weeks uh, in Dodge City. And my family was there at the time before moving back to Washington. And um, uh, I was finding out I, I didn't even... I didn't even know my kids because we were always going back and forth. But uh, we were, I was worried about the Gingrich Revolution and how on earth we would get by with the opposition by the conservative Republicans uh, with regards to agriculture and the farm bill. And the budget chairman was the um, <laughs> uh, John Kasich. I think you will uh, you know, remember him. Sure. And he wasn't too... Uh, excited about uh, giving us the kind of money that we had for the uh, regular farm bills. I remembered something that um, I'm trying to think, uh, Leon Torline, uh, who has now passed away, uh, a lot of those uh, producers out there, but we became very close. They became a nucleus for me when I ran for Congress. And uh, Leon Torline, I was complaining about the amount of money in the budget that uh, under the Gingrich folks that we were going to get. And I said, we cannot do a regular farm bill given that kind of money. And I need your help. What do you, what do you think? And Leon stood up and said, Pat, I don't care about target prices, loan rates, grain storage, all that stuff. And paying farmers not to grow anything, that's ridiculous. Uh, all these uh, mandatory set-asides. He said, just give me the, the freedom to farm my farm. Man, give me freedom to farm. And that's really stuck with me. And so we went back and we thought about crop insurance and to really bolster that. And that is the number one issue in farm country right now when you write a farm bill is to save and preserve uh, crop insurance. And now it is to virtually every crop, uh, whether it's a farmer, a rancher, or a grower, or almost anything that we grow or eat for that matter. So that's been a real success. Uh, we do have our critics and it's always under attack. By the way, that's the first thing I talked about with the president the first week he came into office. And uh, his budget had been cut with regards to crop insurance. He looked at me and said, how can I help you? Uh, I said, don't cut crop insurance. He says, what's crop insurance? So I explained that to him. And he said, so bam, we got a, a hold of Mick um, Mulvaney. Mulvaney, who is the allegedly the OMB uh, budget cutter. And that was within seven seconds. And I, I, he looked at me and he, he forgot my name. He says, farm guy here. <laughs> so two years I was farm guy. <laughs> Took that. You know, why not? It's not a and bad title. So anyway, farm guy here says we can't cut crop insurance. Mulvaney says, we're not cutting it, sir. We're reforming it. And then I said, BS in a loud word. And I explained to the president what would happen and how many states would not have crop insurance if we did that. And so he said, uh, Mick, he said, yes, sir, do not cut or reform crop insurance. Boom. And uh, so for those first two years, I was 
you know, pretty popular guy out in farm country by saving crop insurance. So he went to crop insurance and direct payments. Uh, that went out of style after about uh, 10 years. And we went back to a more uh, wealth of farm bill that we have today. Uh, 218, it was a very historic vote margin. It took us about a year, but uh, Senator Stab and I, and I worked together. Uh, if you talk about a bipartisan example, why we're it, and we got 87 votes. I'd, I'd like to circle back to some of the political figures that you've admired, uh, not just in your youth, but as you went about your work in, in Washington. You mentioned Eisenhower. Are there others? Um, sure. Uh, let me put my thinking cap on here a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm talking too much. and uh, That's all right. Doing the whole thing here. Um, so people you admire. Well, we can start uh, with the presidents and uh, Ike. As I say, I was a sophomore in high school because of my dad's position. Why I got to go to the uh, 52 um, uh, uh, convention. Uh, Robert A. Taft said he had it uh, sewed up. He was Mr. Republican, but Eisenhower, of course, national hero everybody liked Ike and uh, my dad was uh, the head of the citizens for Eisenhower and they won on the first ballot I am I think one of the few people as a kid uh, I found my dad at the top of uh, the Conrad Hilton where Eisenhower or where the Eisenhower people had their uh, campaign headquarters and so I came bursting into the room, and my dad immediately grabbed on to me. So we're in a very important session, son. Go over there and sit way over there where nobody can see. And it was at that time they were talking about the Fair Play Amendment. And that was my dad's idea that Mississippi, Alabama, and Texas, uh, the TAP people after the Eisenhower people won most of the delegates simply because of the efforts that uh, my dad and others put forth in those states. Uh, some of the Mossbacks uh, said that's not right, so they met again and seated the Taft delegates. So Dad thought, let's have a fair play amendment and say, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we followed the rules. We should be seated. Well, if you put in Eisenhower delegates in Texas, Mississippi, and Alabama, man, you, you, you've got a shot. So we won on the first ballot. California came in uh, big time. Texas came in big time. <clears throat> um, Earl Warren got on the Supreme Court. Dick Nixon was vice president, and you see how that worked. But uh, Eisenhower, that's one of the first people I met that you knew he was in the room, even though your, your back was to him. He had a very ruddy face, a brilliant smile. Uh, I only met him two times, once uh, there at the, uh, at the convention, and then once uh, uh, during the inaugural. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, I, I don't know, the guy had amazing uh, presence. I think that's an experience that I'll never forget when uh, he came into office and wanted to raise taxes by a hundred billion. Uh, that was, um, I'm trying to think of the budget director at that particular time, everybody knew him. But in exchange of that, on a handshake deal with Jeff O'Neill, we were to cut spending by two. Well, we didn't do that. We had a, a recession, and uh, for every dollar of tax increase that came in, we spent about a buck eighty. So that deal didn't work out so well. But uh, Reagan thought at the time it would work. 
they had quite a campaign. I said that I came to Congress not to raise taxes, so I held out. At the last, there were about four or five of us. Um, what, what happened was you were invited down to see the president, and so I was sitting there with five other senators. Every one of them, when the president would say, well, Ralph, can you help me out? And uh, Ralph regular uh, said, well, I have some concerns, Mr. President, but yes, sir, I think we have to make it a team effort. And then Bob Livingston, who was a real conservative, sitting right next to me, all of them said they would go along. And then, they, Bob, you know, will you, uh, will you help me? And I, this was the setup to get me to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I figured it out after about the fourth or fifth guy. And I said, oh, my God, what am I going to tell him? And I was so embarrassed taking up his time. And I said, Mr. President, I did not come to the Congress to raise taxes. And, uh, and then I was trying to think of something. And I said, my mother has some objections to some, uh, it was some banking thing that was, uh, you know, controversial. And so I, and I just made it up. <clears throat> and uh, he said, I see. And I said, well, we want to thank you all for coming. I went back to the office, and the office informed me that the White House had called and the president would like to see me and my mother at 10 o'clock the next morning. Wow. And so I called my mother. I said, Mom, uh, get on your best stuff. We're going down to see the president. She says, Son, what have you done? (laughs) She had been down there when my dad was involved, and she said, Well, sure, I'd like to see. She wasn't a Reagan supporter. But we came in and we visited. My God, they had the vice president. They had the... Republican National Committee um, uh, folks. We had, um, I'm trying to think of the guy, oh, Lynn Nofziger, who was very upset with me for, you know, taking up the president's time. Uh, George Bush, of course, was vice president. And uh, so there I was with my mother and all these guys, a bunch of them, you know, Ted up in there. And so uh, the president absolutely charmed my mother. And uh, I remember one exchange where they had, said, well, if you could tell your son to come along with us, uh, it would really help the Republican Party. And he said, and, and she said, and he said, I know that you have been a strong Republican because of your husband and everything else. And she looked at him and said, well, yes, Mr. President, but I've always been a Republican as opposed to you. And he really got a belly laugh out of that. And so then the radar all came around, beep, 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 you know, focused at me. Well, Pat, what do you think? Oh, and she also said, I don't tell my son how to vote. So there I am with my mother and 15 of the highest mucky mucks in the administration, and I still held out. And uh, I left there. Knopfsinger followed me out, short, jerky sentences with uh, language I can't repeat. <clears throat> and that made me mad, made me even more uh, determined to vote no. And uh, the vote was being taken. Uh, they had contacted virtually everybody, and they contacted Keith Sebelius, who was in the hospital, and it, uh, he didn't have too many more days to live. Uh, he called me during the vote, and I had held back, uh, sort of foolishly, if you're going to vote no, you want to vote no, get out of there. But uh, I had held back. I had tears in my eyes. And then I got Keith was on the phone and he said, uh, Pat, I never had the opportunity to vote with a Republican president. Vote with your president. So with tears in my eyes, I went in and I voted yes. 
But that lobbying effort <clears throat> with Reagan was something else. So I got to know him, and uh, at least you know from that standpoint. And I was down there more since I was yes. One was to lift the embargo uh, with regards to the Carter embargo. That took quite an effort. So I would list Ronald Reagan. Um, I've got to mention Bob Dole. Uh, he's been a mentor. He's been my friend um, down through the years. I always hated to be introduced right before him and try to be, uh, you know, humorous. That was that, that wasn't the smartest thing to do. But uh, Bob is um, still. I mean, I call him every week, or he calls me. What's going on over there? You know, and. Uh, <laughs> That was back in the day when security wasn't so tough and we, our staffs would play terrible jokes on each other and we really had a good time. Uh, Ted Stevens, I think, was, uh, uh, he was a center that was beyond description and uh, I really enjoyed with him and uh, he would take Odell's to the far ends of the earth <clears throat> and uh, it wasn't a, a pleasant trip with him but uh, he was a wonderful man uh, Danny Anoy, who is his partner, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, I would mention Kika de la Garza, who was the chairman of the Ag Committee for many years, who helped me when all of a sudden he was the ranking member and gave me very good advice. Uh, he was the one said, uh, you will not have trouble with me on our side. I will take care of them, but you will have trouble with your good friends on your side because they will ask you things that you cannot do or should not do. And boy, was that true. Mm. Uh, I'll have to mention Charlie Stenholm, who's my buddy on the House side. We had more Stenholm, Roberts Amendments and Farm Bills you could shake a stick at. And then when it flipped, uh, it was Robert Stenholm. Uh, let me emphasize that the last Republican chairman in the House of Representatives before I took over as chairman was Cliff Hope Sr. from Garden City in 1952. Forty years later, the new chairman of the Ag Committee was Pat Roberts from Dodge City. I think that's quite remarkable. Um, then I think the person I have to mention is my dad, who is a genius in politics and uh, such a wonderful man. And uh, I have to admit, I thought about my dad a lot when I thought about running uh, for the first time after I worked for Keith. And uh, <clears throat> I just said to my dad who had passed away by that time, I said, well, Pop, here we go. And uh, he was a great listener, and he spoke in a soft voice. I'm, exact, I'm not exactly that example, but uh, I think that's enough. Mm -hmm. That's a good list, Senator. How did you know it was time not to run for re-election in 2020? I have to imagine that you would have won. Uh, you know when it's time. Uh, it's not like I've done everything I could do. Uh, we, um, you go down that list, my guy, and that was, you know, you mentioned Ted Stevens. I was a, not an appropriator. I became an honorary appropriator, uh, both Ted and Danny, but through their efforts, uh, we got the Lewis and Clark Center, uh, at uh, in Leavenworth, the Intellectual Center of the Army, and uh, NBAF, uh, the BRI out there at K-State, the Cancer Center mm -hmm. at KU, uh, Polymer Research down at Pittsburgh State, NIAR, 
uh, down at Wichita State, helping the aircraft industry, uh, uh, a lot of things. Uh, there was a, a, a committee that we had over 100 people taking part in, uh, science and technology, and looking ahead for Kansas. We never had any press in there, so they even know what we were doing. It was headed up by uh, a KU uh, troop, whose name I can't come up with right now, but uh, I might in a minute. And they're the ones that really set up and say, if you want to make a difference, this is where we want to do it. And I got all the advice from all these people who were, you know, pretty top notch in the Kansas economy. And uh, some of the things, you, you know, weren't, but anyway, you do all that. And then you come uh, uh, to, to a certain maturity and your uh, age. And uh, both Frankie and I thought that uh, it, I thought it was time. I have to admit that the state of politics and uh, going through a tough election in 14, and it's just gotten worse with outside money. And uh, I can remember sitting there watching one of the commercials run against me back in, uh, in 2014. And I looked at uh, Frankie and she said, that was awful. I said, yeah, if I, if I believe that I wouldn't run, you know, I, I wouldn't vote for myself either. And uh, so it's, uh, <clears throat> it's become so personal and so negative and so much outside money. <clears throat> and um, I'm not saying I've done everything that I want to do. It's just that uh, it's pretty obvious for me that, and my wife and my family that it was time to step down. One final thing, Senator. I wonder about <clears throat> the free time you'll have. Uh, any interest in writing a book about your experiences? Put it in context. Uh, I've had a lot of advice from friends I've been calling and said, what were your what's your advice when you would step down? Uh, number one, I don't know what on earth I'm going to do with my museum that I have here in my office. We are trying to split that up. And um, I got a Marine shrine. I've got a picture of everybody that served in the, uh, in the Kansas Congress clear back to uh, Charles Evans Hughes. I, I asked the uh, State uh, Historical Society, don't you want all of this stuff? I answer, no, but we would like to have your, your correspondence. So uh, I think, uh, obviously, I'm still going to be very interested in agriculture program policy. I think some people might be interested in having me consult with them. We have a very strict uh, ethics law that you cannot lobby and... Uh, you, you, you can have no contact in any lobbying uh, kind of situation uh, with members. You can't even talk to anybody from a foreign country for a year. You have to really be careful with that because if you, you know, do something that's, uh, that you shouldn't be doing, that's, uh, that's a felony. And that goes to the Justice Department. It doesn't go to the Ethics Committee. By the way, I have served on the Ethics Committee for 24 years. Nobody has done that. I have resigned twice. Uh, Trent Lott sent me back my resignation with something that I won't repeat. And uh, let's see, who was the other one? I think it was Bill Frist who uh, brought me in and said, now, come on, you can't, uh, you can't resign because you have more institutional memory than anybody. And so that if we try to do something, uh, I'm the one that says, well, we tried that 15 years ago and that did not, you know, it, it didn't work very well. Now I'm very happy that I'm on the ethics committee because it's gotten so uh, convoluted and uh, technical and um, all sorts of things that uh, it's a good thing you know what not to do. We've tried, <clears throat> or I tried very hard when I was chairman to uh, bring outreach to the members, ask, 
don't get in trouble first and then then ask and say how you know you know how do how do I get out of this so uh, that's just an aside I know agriculture finance help all of that is important rules I got a, a lot of committees but ethics uh, has been very interesting and uh, I'm very happy that the Senate has got not lot not into a lot of trouble with a few exceptions. Senator, you one final thing. I, I'm sorry for this extra question, but you know, the Dole Institute is a really lovely place and and kind of captures the career of Senator Dole. And it you, you were talking about your papers. Any interest in giving this your possessions to K State or something like that? Um I've had conversation with K-State. Um, they had quite a ceremony uh, awarding me the Huck Boyd uh, Leadership Award. Uh, my Lord, we had the president, uh, obviously Coach Snyder, uh, the dean of ag, uh, just a whole bunch of folks. Uh, I thought I was going to be elevated to sainthood, uh, <laughs> purpose uh, at all that time. I think they're interested in doing something, but I made the decision to send it to the Kansas uh, Historical okay. Society. I have been of help to that uh, group for some time, especially with the William Allen White House that they were able to get. And uh, But there, um, a lot of uh, ag stuff will go to Dodge City. As I said, that's where that all started in terms of my so-called expertise in agriculture. Uh, so the farm stuff goes to all of the ag awards. Uh, I've got a whole Marine Corps shrine. I don't know what to do with it. I'm not too sure the Marine Corps would know what to do with it, but we'll figure out something. And, and then my family wants some stuff. I got a bunch of stuff I, I think the K-State is, is interested in. Uh, what is that figured out? Okay. Well, it's a lot of, it's a, a lot of possessions. And I got a great picture of me uh, when I was the director of the National Symphony both practicing and then in uh, uh, Kansas City and Topeka and Wichita. And I followed uh, Leonard Slackton was the director. Now, I can't, I can't sing a note. I, I mean, I I'm, I'm not a musician. And, uh, but uh, every once in a while they ask a senator if they would like to be a director when they go out to the state and get performances uh, at high schools everywhere around. But they had the big performances, Kansas City, Topeka, and Wichita. I had never directed a symphony. I went down and practiced two or three times. If I could have a career, I would do that. Huh. It's like okay. riding a train. And uh, so he would introduce me, and uh, I, I had quite a time up there directing the uh, other city. And we really got along. Uh, the the uh, symphony members and uh, of course my entree was uh, or the the music that that I directed was the Stars and Stripes Forever. You really don't have to do much other than hang on, <laughs> but it was a hell of a ride. And I got a great picture of it. Maybe that's like a political line too. You know, it's a hell of a ride, and you just got to hang on. There you go, Senator. I, I say that I. You know, when I say to some of the ag groups, I said, we have to work together. I will ride point. You have to, when I look behind to make sure the herd's still there, you you damn well better be there. <laughs> and you could ride uh, flank or you can, uh, you know, ride uh, drag if you want to. But uh, stay in the damn saddle. We're going to take the hill. Senator Roberts, I want to thank you for your time and your staff for helping set this up. Tim, my pleasure. My privilege and good luck to you. 
Thank you so much. I want to thank Senator Roberts for joining us on the Kansas Reflector podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or at kansasreflector.com. 